you tell a joke, no one laughs. You walk in a room, no one notices. You sell a product, no one buys. You, you set a vision and no one buys in. And the feeling is one of feeling insignificant and maybe even leads to depression and a questioning of oneself. Welcome to Mic Drop, the podcast for professional speakers. We cover the ins and outs of the business, helping you deliver more impact on bigger stages at higher fees. You'll gain an inside edge through intimate conversations with the world's most successful keynote speakers. Mic Drop is brought to you by eSpeakers. I'm your host, Josh Linkner. Get ready for some inspiring Mic Drop moments together. Today's show is sponsored by Three Ring Circus, the industry's top training and development program for professional speakers. They've helped hundreds of speakers launch or scale their speaking business, earning tens of millions in speaking fees, landing bureau representation, securing book deals, and rising to the top of the field. If you're looking to take your speaking business to the next level, they'll simply help you get there faster. To learn more and schedule a free 30-minute consultation, visit 3ringcircus.com forward slash mic drop. That's three, the number three, ringcircus.com forward slash mic drop. Mic drop is produced and presented by eSpeakers. If you want more audiences and organizations to be moved and changed by your message, you owe it to yourself to find out why thousands of top experts use eSpeakers to manage and grow their business. When you use eSpeakers, you'll feel confident about your business, package yourself up for success, and be able to focus on what matters most to you and your business. For more information and a free 30-day trial, visit eSpeakers.com forward slash mic drop. That's eSpeakers.com forward slash mic drop. Today, I sit down with Renee Rodriguez, who focuses on the study of neuroscience to elevate influence and leadership. He's been in the speaking game for 27 years and remains as busy as a speaker as you'll find. During the pandemic, he cranked out 320 virtual presentations, and this year will deliver over 100 keynotes. He's worked with senior leaders at DuPont, Coca-Cola, and 3M, helping them amplify influence, the title of his forthcoming book. Renee and I had a blast covering a range of topics from speaking to branding to helping others. In our conversation, Renee shares how he took a non-traditional approach to building credibility, becoming an expert in behavioral psychology and neuroscience without holding an advanced degree in either of these subjects. He shares the key thing that every speaker needs to understand before giving a keynote, but most of us fail to do. Renee shares how to build and maximize our influence as a professional speaker and how he broke the model of professional speaking in so many ways, from picking a single lane to working with bureaus to writing his book. On today's episode, Renee even tosses in the one thing he knows now that he wishes he knew back when he was getting his start. Renee Rodriguez, welcome to Mic Drop. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, so I've been really looking forward to our conversation. You, you've made a big impact in the speaking world. You've been at it for quite some time. But could you maybe just give us the high level of where you came from, when, when you started in the industry, and where you are now, just so we can sort of frame you know, who you are and your experience to this point? For sure, for sure. My, my background is in behavioral neuroscience. And so I started 27 years ago 
selling cookware door to door, doing presentations then, you know, moving from the one-on-one -on -one presentation to the one on 10 and really realizing back then the power of being in front of a room and taking that science to the change management world, working in a change management firm that used brain research neuroscience to deal with hostile work environments and working with leadership teams from, you know, companies like DuPont and Coca-Cola, International Paper, some of the largest brands in the world, Cargill 3M, to being on stages all over the world. And uh, the journey that that's taken to the, from the empty stages to the breakout rooms, to the free events, to begging to be on a stage, to the ones that, you know, where you walk out and you can't believe that many people showed up. So it's, uh, it's been a, a very fun journey as I know you've been on as well. It's amazing. 27 years and you're continuing to refine your skills and your insights and your knowledge. And so today, I know you do other things too, but how big of a, uh, just give us a sense of your speaking practice today. How many dates approximately are you doing? Is it all keynotes? Is it breakouts? Like what, what does your business look like today? We do well over a hundred events a year right now. And that's uh, the live events. It's it, and it's, it's a ridiculous travel schedule right now. So it's, uh, that doesn't include virtual events, which we do. I mean, during the pandemic, we did 320 of them. We've got a studio here that has six cameras, 27 lights. I'm on it right now. That is also my computer. It's also my thing. So we're, we're prepped to kind of deal with all of those different arenas. Uh, a lot of some, I'd say about a third of those are uh, self-generated events. We call amplify where we take, you know, 12 people at a time. These are people that are looking to grow their influence. These are leaders and sales professionals that are looking to be better. Um, influencers and leaders, communicators, not really speakers, if you will, but they have to speak in front of a room. Um, but uh, the, we did 33 of just those events last year. The rest were keynotes and um, not as many breakout sessions anymore. In fact, I would say almost none. Most of them are main stage keynotes. And we do one main event a year called AmpCon, where we have about 600 people. It's our second year. 600 people came just to see the work of Amplify and um, the book that just came out uh, in Las Vegas. It's so good. And so speaking of the book that just came out, um, Lead with Influence, is that correct? Amplify your influence. Yep. Amplify influence. I apologize. And but, yeah, but the lead with influence is from the website, though. So you're you're on, you're on track. <laughs> okay. So I know that's a big part of you. The book's coming out uh, just just in a week or two. By the time folks are listening to it, many many people will will probably already be seeing this book on on, on many uh, bestseller lists. I, I have no doubt. But um, tell us about the book and tell us what it means to lead with influence. So amplify your influence and leading with influence really is a um, the work of my my entire career is. How do we, and so when I talk about my background in behavioral neuroscience, it's about the applied science. And I look at how these amazing researchers and what they've done and say, how does this apply to things like leadership? How does it apply to communication, to selling, to closing, to communicating an idea, a value proposition, to resolving a conflict, selling a product, sequencing, timing, expressions, body language, how do I communicate tone of voice? All of those elements come into a science and understanding the ability to influence and, and the best way to understand influence. It's the one thing that all of us here listening have in common. I think it's one of the things that most humans have in common and it's probably best understood through its opposite, right? You, let's go look at the opposite of influence. You tell a joke, no one laughs. You walk in a room, no one notices. You sell a product, no one buys. You, you set a vision and no one buys in. And the feeling is one of feeling insignificant and maybe even leads to depression and a questioning of oneself. But then you look at, Influence. You walk in a room and everyone notices. You tell a joke, people laugh. You sell a product and people buy. You lay a vision out and everyone follows. The feeling is a feeling of significance. And the difference is, is the ability to impact that world around you. 
And so the book lays out that there is a science to it that everyone can learn. And it comes down to basic sequences in the brain and understanding language choices, how we tell our personal story and things that we do in a way that really goes opposite of what we were taught. And so, um, and Josh, quite frankly, it's a lot of things that I've watched you do in your career and the people that you have trained and, and are working with. So it's, it's taking the things that the pros are doing and trying to codify the process. It's amazing. And so when you, if you could double click down, what, what's a tip? I, I'm sure there, I, I think you said there's a whole framework and everyone listening should absolutely buy the book. But is there like a little practical tip? You know, what, what can we do to get a little boost in influence or, you know, as, as someone listening to, to walk away and, and have, a, have a quick win? You know, one I would tell people is understanding, it, it, first of all, it's understanding what's your influence objective, right? Because the, the best thing that I ask people at the end of our course, we end with a 10, 10 uh, step checklist that really consolidates the course. And the first course, the first question we ask is who's our audience? So many people look at um, what they're trying to say without asking the audience. And, and, and I say, imagine showing up to um, the tee in golf and you go and you grab your golf club choice first without looking at where the pin is and how far you got to hit. And so people say, well, what's the best influence tool or what's the best thing? And it's like saying, well, what's the best golf club to use? And people say the driver. I said, well, what if you're on the, on the putting green? And I said, you know, I know a lot of leaders that use a putting, uh, a driver on the putting green and they take these big swings at things that, that take finesse and they end up putting divots in a putting green of the organization. And all of a sudden you have people that have to clean up something, you know, the, the, the culture of the organization because the leader was just unaware. And so taking a look at your audience, where you're at, what your objective is and where the state of the audience is, you know, are they upset? Are they sad? Are, are they in, an excited audience? Are they, were they just acquired? I mean, you know, how many times have you gone up to speak and you asked the, the sponsor, Hey, how's the group doing? Everything was fine until that last moment. I, two weeks ago, I was just there and they just got acquired and they just announced five minutes before I went on stage. That makes a difference in terms of how I start things. And so understanding your audience, where they're at is a big piece because that helps you understand how you start. And so we tell people in this process of influence, it sequences everything because the brain works in a sequence and it's something that we all know. It's something as simple of giving feedback. We don't start with the negative. We start with the positive first, and then we move into the opportunities for growth because the brain is more prepped to hear it. So that'd be a simple, and we can we probably have a more expanding to do on that, but that would be the biggest piece in the beginning to understand. Well, it's such a great point. And, and you're really emphasizing situational awareness and you're right. Speakers often can, can miss the mark there. They give a talk the same as if it's, you know, in front of 10,000 people or 10 people, uh, give a talk the same if you're on stage versus virtual. And those are very different media, even, even though you're, you're communicating a similar message. So the notion of situational awareness to drive influence couldn't agree more. I did have a question for you on that. So you talk a lot about, uh, you know, you you're, you study uh, behavioral psychology and neuroscience. Um, and, and, and my understanding is that you are not, you know, a PhD or you don't have like 40 degrees in each of these things, which, by the way, is the coolest thing ever. I think many times people who want to be speakers think I have to have all these advanced degrees. I have to have all these qualifications. I think you are a world expert in both of those things, but in a non-traditional way. So can you maybe give us a sense of how you built your level of expertise in those domains? How did you become the expert that you are without the, the traditional, you know, sort of monikers of, of, of educational excellence? You know, passion and unsatiable curiosity. You know, so I don't have them, but we partner with them. You know, we've worked alongside with John Rady of Harvard, who's a head neurologist there for eight years in developing one of our courses. Right now, one of our uh, one of the people that's licensing uh, our Amplify course is the co-founder of the Neuro Leadership Institute, Dr. Al Ringleb in Chimba in Italy. So we've been working alongside them for a long time. And <clears throat> what you'll find is that doctors and the neuroscientists and the and the and the 
the people that are the, the researchers are starving for application knowledge. And so we have been lucky enough to work with over a hundred thousand people during this time. And I'm talking about hundred thousand small groups. I'm not, I don't include the massive 5,000 person audiences, hundred thousand people in applying the knowledge. And so when you, when you have the ability to take a theory and a concept and apply it in a hostile environment, apply it in the real deal in, in the trenches, it gives you an experience that a researcher will never have. And when you can go back to the research and say, okay, here's what I heard you say, here's how we've used it. And here's the results that we've got over the last 50 workshops or the last this, and here's how it looked. The fascination and the, and the, and the collaboration that happens then is where I think the value is. And to me, it's, you have to manage both is applied and, and science and how do you apply and, and manage both of those pieces. And to your point, I think it's, it's okay to not be, not have all the monikers and all those types of things, but then work with and understand the lane of, of application. I think it's such a profound point. I just want to emphasize it for those listening because a lot of folks that are newer in their speaking career and they see uh, people with, with these very fancy biographies and they say, well, I don't have a degree from Harvard or I, I didn't sell a business for a billion dollars or whatever, and they can get discouraged. But here, you know, just, and, I, and I say this it, it, as a compliment, you, you don't have those advanced degrees. You, you, your first book is coming out after you've given thousands of keynotes and made millions of dollars and like wildly successful. The point I wanted listeners to walk away with is there's lots of ways to build expertise. There's lots of ways to build influence and make a tremendous successful opportunity as, as a professional speaker. And I think you're, you're the embodiment of that. You don't need all those fancy external markers. What you need is what you did, which is curiosity and grit and hustle and determination. And you brought it to life and it's just, just really cool. Yeah. It's funny. The, the, um, the other piece to it, in the word ethos is where, where we talk about. It. So Aristotle was the first person to talk about argumentative thought two years ago. And his rhetorical triangle in terms of how you be persuasive is you need three things. You need ethos, pathos, and logos. And ethos is your credibility and your character. And we work with a lot of people on understanding that, you know, to your point was that they don't feel like they have ethos because they don't have doctor or they don't have ethos because they didn't exit a business. And if you're brand new, the big question is, is you don't, you know, well, I, I'm brand new. I don't know anything. And I said, well, think about ethos as your lane and you may not be new. It's it's, but people can read when you're out of your lane. It's like me doing a workshop on the menstrual cycle and the challenges that women go through. It's like people would look at me and say, wait, what? Well, Renee, you've never had a menstrual cycle. I said, well, yeah, that would be out of my character to do that or how to grow rich and thick hair. If you can't see this, I'm bald. So I, I, that's not my ethos. But that doesn't mean I don't have experience in other areas. And so if I'm brand new, maybe my ethos is to bring a rich and new, um, refreshing approach to the market, new, innovative ideas that aren't stuck in an old, right? And so that I can bring uh, um, the, the, the fresh approaches of a new generation. And that might be the credibility that I bring, the fact that I am new, the fact that I am young. And so you have to be creative in looking at where your experience lies. If you're an athlete, why bring the discipline of an athlete, of a collegiate athlete, or you know whatever it was, you can still find credibility in other aspects of your life that transition and still apply in the expertise that may you may be speaking about. Yeah, it's so good. And, and and you're exactly right. You can build those expertise. You know, furthermore, you don't have to be the sort of, I like to say, you don't have to be the protagonist in your own story. So when you think about, you know, many people I talk to, they say, oh, are people really going to care about my story? Do people really care that much about what 
I did. And the answer is they might not, honestly. But think of some of the most successful speakers. Malcolm Gladwell, Dan Pink, Adam Grant, Brene Brown. They don't talk about their own story. They talk about their research and their insights in the world and other people and their subject matter. So again, to me, it's just, it's removing the barriers for those that want to be professional speakers. You don't have to have this killer. You don't have to climb Everest. You don't have to have 14 PhDs from Harvard. You can do what you and I did, which is be self-directed in your learning and, and building expertise. Oh, I was going to say that I love that. It's like they're, they're, we're translators of that information. I love that. That's great. Yeah. Fantastic. Exactly. That's, I mean, that's what I had to do, translate the researchers into something applicable. And, you know, even Dan, uh, Darren Hardy was that with Success Magazine. I mean, that's how he built his whole career. Yeah, 100% right. So I did have a question, though. You, know, you mentioned the ethos and you say kind of pick, pick your lane. And the prevailing wisdom, as you and I know in the speaking industry, is pick your lane. So I speak on innovation and Ryan Estes, our good buddy, speaks on sales and, you know, et cetera. But, but in yours, I was looking at your website because I was trying, I, I know all about you and I've, I've been a fan of yours for years, but just looking at the website, I, 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 could, I could surmise that you speak on influence, teamwork and collaboration, sales, leadership, trust, culture, finding your why and communication. And so I, I, it's, a, it's, a, it's a softball question, but, but what's the through line there? And how do, how do you think the world needs to see you to understand what the lane is for Rene Rodriguez? You know, so this is a great conversation to talk about Ryan, um, because he, he was instrumental in helping me solve that problem. And I think that, and I, and I want to be transparent about this because I think this is what listeners are, are, are battling with too, is the same battle I had for years. I have been doing this work for so long, but the, the market was really confused at some points as to who I was, you know, so I, I have, you know, my, my website used to say leadership change in sales. And there was a group of them, part of the marketplace that saw me as a sales trainer. I do really good sales training. There was another part of the marketplace of manufacturing side of the marketplace and environmental health and safety that saw me as a change management leadership person. And so then, then there was another group that saw me as a keynote speaker on, you know, uh, the power of courage and my, the two Ted talks that I did. And so it was like really split. And so when I was talking with Ryan, it's, you know, we're looking at this piece cause I'd never used bureaus before. I'd never used, you know, everything was self-sourced and Ryan was, was gracious enough to say, here's what we mean by brand. And he handed me his, his brand book. And it was, I was like, I've like, I never, I've seen companies do this. I never saw an individual do that. It was just like one, the generosity. And this was what speaks to a lot of what I think you guys do to do that. And I, th I took that and ran with it. And the thing that all through our process of creating what I would call my ethos, which would be my lane was the neuroscience approach to influence and leadership. And so like everything that we're doing is, it is the common denominator of all those things that you talked about, communication and sales. Yes, there are applications in sales. Do I focus on sales training? And No, but am I brought in on sales stages all the time? Am I focused on some of those pieces? It's really just about influence right now and that leadership trait of how do you drive that? And that does open up a pretty wide audience. And we do have a course that we call Engage, which is one we have put geez, a hundred thousand people through, which is around trust and teamwork. And so that's, it is a challenge, but if you have been doing it long enough, you, the more narrow you get that, the clearer it becomes. But the brand right now is focused on influence, but it doesn't mean you can't do other things. And that was the part that was hardest for me to get around was I felt like when you focused in on your brand and you chose your lane that you shut off everything else you do in some ways, but that doesn't mean you can't also do some of the other pieces. I just love that. And again, just kind of echoing back. I mean, so you are an expert at the neuroscience of influence, period, full stop. But you help people apply that 
your body of work and your expertise to a lot of different situations. You can apply that to sales. You can apply that to leadership. You can apply that to culture. You can apply that to trust. And so what I'm hearing you say is that you do have a single, a singular body of work, but you the you use the word app, the applied sense of it. You can apply it to a number of different settings. Just because someone is a project manager doesn't mean they can't learn this. They don't have to be a particular role or a particular industry. You can apply these universal principles to a lot of different scenarios. Am I getting that right? Yeah. Well, it's it's who doesn't need to influence, right? And to me, influence is, you know, people think our workshops are around presentation skills. Yes, you are in front of the room for 90% of the time during our workshops and I'm standing next to you as you're communicating your message and we're fixing body language and how you communicate your story and exploring what we call your personal origin story and putting those pieces together. And, but it is that influence piece expressed through presentation, influence expressed through writing, influence expressed through a sales pitch or a value proposition. And so there's influence expressed through a conflict result being resolved. And so all of it is about influencing an idea or a thought or behavior. Becoming a keynote speaker is an amazing profession. The top performers earn millions in annual income while driving massive impact on audiences around the world. But the quest to speaking glory can be a slow route with many obstacles that can knock even the best speakers out of the game. If you're serious about growing your speaking business, the seasoned pros at Three Rings Circus, they can help. From optimizing your marketing and business efforts, to crafting your ideal positioning, to perfecting your expertise and stage skills, Three Rings Circus is the only speaker training and development program run by current high-level speakers at the top of their field. That's why the major bureaus like Washington Speakers Bureau, Premier Speakers, Speak Inc., Executive Speakers, Harry Walker Agency, Kepler, Gotham Artists, and GDA all endorse and participate in Three Ring Circus. From interactive boot camps to one-on-one coaching, Three Ring Circus will help you reach your full potential in the speaking biz, and they'll get there faster. For a free 30-minute consultation, visit threeringcircus.com forward slash mic drop. That's threeringcircus.com forward slash mic drop. So imagine that I'm a brand new speaker. I've gotten a couple gigs. I'm, I've writ, wrote, written a book. I'm, I'm passionate about it. I want to do, the, do it right. I, I am going to invest in my future. What are some, some suggestions that you might give to someone like me as that brand new speaker that uh, the, the, with, uh, along the lines of your body of work, uh, you know, neuroscience and behavior uh, influence that would allow me to sort of be more successful and, and perhaps even get, get to where I'm trying to get to faster? I think probably the first piece is speak as often as you can, anytime you can, even if it's free take every opportunity to get in front of a room to practice, record every single thing that you do. Don't get hung up on getting paid right away. Get out there because if you do it enough and if you get good at it, you will run out of time. And the moment you run out of time, this is the moment you start charging for it. What happens, I see so many, a lot of the new speakers are so hung up on their fee and they're hung up on the other pieces that they forget about the being a practitioner and be delivering a value. If you are in front of a room, and I, I have these conversations with CEOs with it, because we, we have conversations prior to going on speaking, and I remember confronting, it was the president of a company, and he's like, yeah, yeah, I'll introduce you. I'm like, I, I said, great, do you know what you're gonna say? He's like, no, no, you're good, you're, you're gonna be great. I said, hold on a second. I go, you're giving me your entire company for four hours. The attention of your company for four hours. I get to say what I want, and 
I'm assuming you want me aligned with your vision and strategy. We should probably align. And he looks at me and he stops at the bar. He goes, that's a good point. And I said, I can, so where do you want me to take them? I go, I know what I'm going to say and I've got plenty of content, but where do you want me to take them? And that clarity in that, you know, when you get to that place, the, the influence that you have over a group comes down to your ability to communicate value. And that comes through practice, lots and lots of practice. And if you aren't videoing yourself, you don't know what you look like because your body language is speaking volumes on that stage. Your pacing, your use of pauses, the confidence that you, you portray on that stage, all of that stuff is what you're being judged against through someone else. If you are using overly using cliches and things that aren't timely in the marketplace, or if you're constantly touting um, uh, business phrases that, that really don't mean much, then you got to be able to know that stuff. And so the only way to do that is getting on that stage and getting feedback and obviously hiring coaches and getting in front of groups, anything you can do to constantly be speaking. Got to do the reps. There, there's no shortcut to it. And it's funny because if you were learning a new skill like violin or tennis or whatever, you're like, yeah, of course I got to practice. But because we speak in 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 real life, like at the dinner table with our friends, we think, oh, well, I speak all the time. I gave a great toast at my aunt's wedding. I'm prepared. And and it, not that those aren't good things, obviously, but, but this is a new craft. It does require the same discipline and focus and sacrifice and, yes, repetition that learning any new skill really entails. Um, so are there... I had a question for you because you said earlier that you, at the time you're talking to Ryan, didn't, didn't work much with bureaus. What percentage of your current business on the keynote front, not not the private seminars that you do, is bureau related versus not? I maybe get one or two a year at the moment, maybe, and they're wow. if that, yeah, if if that. It's um, I'd like more. I mean, it, it's funny. I, you know, so you know, Jeff Bigelow, I love that guy to death, and some of these other guys are there. I'm getting calls from the bureaus because they're getting requests. Um, but it's, you know, the, the book is really good. It's helping out cause it's opening up other markets for us. And, um, we're doing some, you know, some other pieces, but it's, it's the, what I like about bureaus is that they open up new markets and new industries. And so, but right now it's, we've been literally so busy with the other ones that we've created that it's, it's, and I even, t- I mean, I, there's even bureaus like, and here's a tip for, for you want to work with bureaus and that Ryan and, and, and Seth told me this one. Um, there was one that came in, uh, I would, the, the, the company called me and then the bureau called me second and very big bureau. And I was, and I was like, and, and so there was this question of who gets paid on this. Right. And it's 25% of a pretty big fee. Right. And so, you know, 25% of 25 grand, it's, it's a lot of money. So I called the guy and he was confused and he was there. He's upset that they, they said, no, just, you know, they didn't, they, we went to rent with Renee direct. I called the broker or the, what are you, the agent? And I said, Hey, you talk to him. I said, he says, yeah, we worked on this one for a while. And everything. I said, great. Send me an invoice. He said, really? I said, yeah, send me an invoice. I said, I want to work with you guys. I said, see, this isn't as a, as a good faith to say that this is what it's like to work with me. And he was like, holy shit. Okay. And so I did that. Now I haven't heard anything back yet, but, <laughs> but that's, that's to me, I think that's what it takes though. It's, you can't buy into your own hype in this business. You have to also be, even if I've been doing this 27 years, you still got to be willing to play ball. You still got to understand that the bureaus are there to earn and they're in business with you. They're in partnership. And if the, the if they're giving deals and you got opportunities to give business back, you got to give it back. It's a partnership. And even that with your clients, you got to be constantly willing to pay ball, play ball. And I watch a lot of these speakers, which I have outrated and outspoken a million times and they're prima donnas up there. 
just doesn't work. They will, that, that won't last in the kind of world that we have today. It's way too transparent. Wow, you touched on a couple of good things there. First of all, I love the shout out to Jeff Bigelow at Speak Inc. I'm a Bigelow fan myself, and he's just a, he's a dear friend and lovely person. Um, but I also want to sort of acknowledge the fact that, you know, there's another, yet I think it's a third way that you've sort of shattered the conventional approach to being a professional speaker. You know, what do most people think? You have to have some crazy resume and all these accolades. You figured it out yourself. You have to write a book. You've had thousands of speeches and your new book's coming out. Yeah. So you've done all these speeches before you wrote the book. You have to work with speaker bureaus. You said you get one or two a year and you do like a hundred speeches a year. So again, I just love how you're breaking the model and showing all of us that there's more than one path to success. Um, I did want to drill down on something though, back to your influence expertise. And sorry, I'm bouncing a little bit today. It must be oh, coffee. But <laughs> the, to me, one of my biggest uh, complaints is when a speaker gets up and it's all about the speaker. Me, 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 me. And and look what I did. And, and, and really a great speech is about the audience. It's not look what I can do. It's look what you can do. And and many people who have had success and, and, and nothing wrong with their success. It's, it's awesome. But they, they they come across with arrogance and they're condescending and patronizing. Where to me, what what is, and, and that's like fingernails on a blackboard to me. Where someone who's a little bit more soft-spoken and authentic and even vulnerable, to me, that humility is such a beautiful trait. But I'd love to get, you know, as, as someone who has studied behavioral psychology and influence. Help me understand when someone's real boastful, what does that do to the receiver of that information versus when somebody is exhibiting humility and grace? It kills it. It kills the credibility. And so, and here's why. So go back to ethos, right? So ethos is your credibility and your character. And that's that, that when you see a doctor in front of them, it's credibility. But what happens is, is that people think they own their ethos. We don't own our ethos. Our audience does. And when you realize that, so you've, we've all seen, we've been excited to see a speaker speak and we go up there and they bomb or they're arrogant. We don't go, well, since they own their ethos, I can't say that they were bad. No, we say that sucked. Give me that ethos back. And we might give them a negative review. Your audience owns the ethos. I was just at an event. We had a thousand people there and I like to get there early and, and I hang out in the audience before I go up there. And I'm, I'm there probably an hour early and I'm shaking hands, talking to people. That's a way for me to connect with the audience. And I probably get a chance to shake 80% of the hands. And I will literally walk up and down the aisle because I'm there, client hired me. So I'm connecting and I'm learning who's my audience, what's going on. You know, good money people know that it's me. Some, some don't, which is kind of fun. And then I get up there and I'm up on stage and all of a sudden it's the second time that I'm seeing them. I've already connected with most of the people and now they all feel connected to me. I'm connected to them. This is our second meeting. So it's just real relaxed for both of us. And I don't have to jump around on stage there. We're having a conversation and Somebody said to me, they go, Renee, thanks for coming today. And I said, no, thank you. I said, you know how silly it feels to be up on a stage and no one in the audience? I said, trust me, most of my career was me on stage and no one in that audience. I said, so this is a partnership. So thank you for coming. And that is a genuine feeling. And when you realize that it is a privilege to be on that stage and my job is to add massive value and give them back what they, what they have the choice of being somewhere else, that puts you, I think, in the right mindset. And anything about boastfulness and, you know, that's why I think it's important to have somebody else do your intro, somebody else read your bio, because it sounds way better than somebody else reading it versus than you. Yeah, no question about it. So having done this for a couple decades and done extensive research into psychology and, and influence and such, what's the thing that you know now that you wish you knew back when you were getting started? Mm. Brand. Brand. That's, Brian. that's Ryan's fault. <laughs> the... You know, you could be great at something, but if no one knows what you do, it doesn't matter. And 
today. And so let's have a nerdy conversation for a minute. <clears throat> so 30 years ago, and this is, this is an extension. So one, so the answer is you have to have a personal brand. You have to brand yourself. You have to, you, every aspect of what branding means, you need to have that brand consistency. You have to have the colors that fit you. You have to have a copywriter that understands how to put into words what your essence is and don't skimp on a copywriter. A good copywriter will help you put into words the feelings and the essence of what you've been trying to say. They will capture it in phrases that are worth millions to you. And so do all of the pieces when it comes to your brand. And it's not just a logo. It begins with copy. You have to have a good copywriter to do that. And so, but right now, the importance of branding is critical because we have a gap in communication. 30, 40 years ago, there was no information out there about emotional intelligence. There wasn't, a, you know, when I first was writing my dissertation on, on emotions 27 years ago, 28 years ago, I was, there wasn't information on human emotion. You know, people died very close to where they worked and where they were born. And if I worked for you, Josh, I, you know, you, I, I saw you every single day. I, we probably went to the same barber when I had hair and we, you know, you might have coached my kids in, in sports. We went to the same grocery, maybe even the same church. And there was so much communication interaction that I knew your nuances. I knew your facial expressions. I knew all of that stuff. And so I knew who you were. And so now the introduction of uh, digital technologies, the advancements of transportation and digital communications, we willingly start moving further and further away from our communities. And so as we start moving further and further away, we start now seeing each other less, but yet thinking we still know each other. And so to give you an example, do you see that pause for a minute? Did you see what happened internally for you when I paused? Did you have a response? Most people listening to this probably thought there maybe that something, there was a glitch. Maybe as the host, you kind of had a little chill going up your spine saying, uh oh, did Renee forget something? And so what happens is, is that gap of information, even as subtle as a second and a half to two seconds, your brain doesn't handle and it begins to fill it. And so when there's that, that, that little concept applies in communications in the workplace, but it also applies in your brand. Since we don't see each other often, I have a narrative gap in our relationship and there's no gap. Now, if I'm just now a motivational speaker now, and I've never seen you, never read about you. I don't know who you are. I don't know what you believe. I don't know anything on social media. I don't know anything about you. I'm going to apply any sort of past experience of what I believe are motivational speakers onto you when I see you. I have to out-communicate that. I have to out-brand that. I have to put out so much information of who I am, what I believe through video, audio, books, articles, not just social media. But I have to make phone calls. I have to do everything I can, every mode of communication so that I bridge the narrative gap of what my profession is. Otherwise, I am a victim of what people might think and I can't control that. And so branding and filling that narrative gap is what I would put all my attention on. Mm, so good. Well, last question for you before we say goodbye. And I know we're very grateful for your time today. Um, you have been in this industry for quite some time, and I, I believe you'll be in it for, for some time yet to come. You're, like me, someone who's passionately committed to this industry. What is your wish for our industry? What is your wish what will change and evolve and grow as, as, the, world of, uh, as the world changes and, of course, the world of professional speaking changes as well? That is a wonderful question. My wish is this, is that people realize that, people realize that our stories are what people want, that we want we don't need uh, the impression of something bigger than what it actually is. We want something that's attainable. We want something that's uh, within our reach. We want something that we can apply. This world used to be a choice. Transparency used to be a choice. It's not anymore. 
And when people realize that transparency isn't a choice, that's where authenticity now becomes explicit, where people pretend that they can fake their way through something or pretend to be something that they're not. And then the beauty of people realizing that they have a story to tell and they tell it from their heart and they tell it with passion and they tell it boldly. And that story is enough to create the impact because it's, you don't have to invent post-its or cure cancer to make an impact on people. We just have to believe who you are and tell us a story that's applicable and relevant to my life. And if I believe you, that is way more powerful than some accolade or some title. I believe you and, I, and the story is relevant to me. That to me is gonna create an impact. And if I can make an impact on one, but just a, a lot of individuals are listening, now I impact many. And so belief that who you are is that story and learn how to tell the story. That to me is my wish. Well, Renee, thank you for your wisdom today. Congratulations on the new book. And, and uh, thanks for continuing to be such an important force and a leader in our industry. Wishing you all the continued success. And I'm, I'll see you out on the road, my brother. Thank you. And it was an honor to be here, Josh. Thank you. And thank you for all you're doing. And the work that you guys are all doing is, is critical. So thank you so much. It's been an honor. I really enjoyed my chat with fellow mold breaker and creative troublemaker, Renee Rodriguez. Here are a few of my favorite takeaways. Number one, I loved how Renee dispelled so many myths about the speaking business. He's a well-respected expert with no advanced degrees. He speaks over 100 times a year, but barely works with speaker bureaus. He's not afraid to change lanes and speak on a different topic. His first book is coming out 27 years after he started in professional speaking. The lesson here for us all, we don't need to follow a preordained route. And we shouldn't feel defeated if we're missing any of the conventional markers that lead to speaking success. Number two, you can tell how much Renee loves the craft. When he rattled off technical elements, such as sequencing, timing, expressions, body language, and vocal tone, you can just tell this guy knows his stuff. It is so great to see someone taking his profession so seriously. And finally, he really made me think about my own influence. Keynote speakers aren't there to confirm existing beliefs. We show up to reveal surprising truths, to reframe thinking, to open up new approaches. Let's face it, we're in the aha business. So developing our influence is critical to success in the world of professional speaking. I can't wait to pick up Renee's new book, Amplify Influence, and hope you're equally amped to take your influence and your speaking game to the next level. Thanks for joining me on another episode of Mic Drop. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite shows. If you love the show, please share with your friends and don't forget to give us a five-star review. For show transcripts and show notes, visit micdroppodcast.com. Mic Drop is produced and presented by eSpeakers. And a big thanks to our sponsor, Three Ring Circus. I'm your host, Josh Linkner. Thanks for listening, and here's to your mic drop moment. <laughs>